Hey there, this is Will Gadara, and welcome back to Weekly Specials. Or if you're a new listener, thanks for joining us. You'll notice a few things have changed here. For one, you can't see me anymore. As the world shifts and cities are now slowly reopening around the country, we wanted to make ourselves a bit more accessible. So now, you can hear us every week wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll still put out some video specials from time to time, so keep an eye out on our Instagram page, at Welcome Conference. And thank you for joining us, however you do. It's the weekly specials. Weekly specials. Good news coming at you. The weekly specials. As a dining room guy, I was always taught that you're supposed to have conversations that don't ruffle feathers, that there are just certain topics you stay away from in the dining room. But right now, these are the topics that call for our attention. The hard ones, the uncomfortable ones, the deep ones that especially for white people may not flow as easily. The Welcome Conference was built on the foundation of dialogue to explore ideas in hospitality. This moment that we're in is difficult, but aching for that dialogue. Day by day, the more conversations we have, the more understanding we'll share. And then, together, we can have a greater appreciation for who we are, where we came from, and how we want the future to look. And so, here we are, presenting you with leaders in our industry, sharing their experiences, their history, and their voice. We hope the conversations we have in the coming weeks will be honest and eye-opening, and that they will inspire action so that we can all be more connected. We've got a great discussion up ahead. This episode, I'm joined by Kelly Peacock, current general manager of Thai Diner in New York City, and also someone I've known for many years. Kelly and I had the chance to work together in New York and Las Vegas when she was a dining room manager at The Nomad, and it was so good to reconnect with her. We chatted about a lot of things, including her obsession with hospitality, which you can clearly feel as she recaps her journey over the years and some of the systemic racism she's encountered over those years. Let's get into it. Kelly Peacock, thank you for joining me here. So who are you? Can you just, can you just say like, what have you done in the hospitality industry in the last couple of years? What are you doing now? And then, and then we'll back up from there. Yeah. My personal starting point would be about nine years ago. So I joined on with a family. You guys know them as Chef Matt and Anne. They opened up Uncle Boone's. That's who I joined on with. But we worked together at a market uh, out in Shelter Island. So East and Long Island, way, way out for two summers. Uh, so that's where I met them. They had this crazy idea of opening up this restaurant and I fell so in love with the idea of what they were, you know, what they were aspiring to do and got so excited that I wanted to join on. So after my first summer, so I was about 22, yeah, nine years ago, I basically did all the footwork. So I went to find any restaurant job I could possibly get, obviously like thinking about how big it was, how small it was, what I needed to learn because I didn't really have too much 
traditional restaurant experience. So I worked at Kefi. That was my first uh, real restaurant job. So Michael's Filaki. So up on the Upper West Side, that's where I'm pretty much born and raised. Worked there. So dual level. I worked as a host. I was a maitre d' probably there within the first two weeks. Uh, anyone that's been there knows how mad it is in there. Uh, and then also did, uh, I was a delivery coordinator there for like on and off for a year. So then I went back to Shiltrawing the following, the following year. They thought I was crazy to join them again. It's basically a seasonal business. So we did it around Easter and then we ended around October, depending on the, the, the business that was coming through. After that, I thought that I was pretty much signed on to the job. I didn't really think that there was going to be anything else for me out there. I didn't accept any other jobs. Uh, you know, I worked at Ruby Rosa as well, which is my family uh, for a very long time. Ruby Rosa, I worked at Merck Bar. I've worked for private catering companies to kind of just get all the information I possibly could because I didn't go to school for this. I just, I had this mad passion inside of me. So we opened uh, Uncle Boone's in 2013. So they just celebrated their seventh year, which is really crazy. We joined on. I started off as a host within the first, I want to say, it's about a year, year and a half that I moved from basically doing every position. So bartending, running food, uh, learning how to run the floor. I was managing after that shortly. Uh, once Julie Gray, our GM at the time, who taught me a bunch, 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 a bunch, bunch of stuff. Uh, she left within probably going into our second year. And then from year two on, I kind of took command there. And it was a scary ride, but we did it. And then we opened up Mr. Donahue's. Uh, we turned that into Uncle Boone's sister. And then, yeah, then I took a break between there, just kind of opening up that place. I'd been there for five years. I'd done everything I, I thought I possibly could at that moment. You just need a personal break at that point. And I was like, uh, what do I do next? Took a little breather and then did the second craziest thing I could possibly do, which is what's the top company I felt at that point I could work with so then I joined on to the Nomad, and that took me about a month because I was being difficult <laughs> going back and forth. I chose the Nomad because it's very Kelly Peacock, and I really enjoyed it. And I signed on with New York, uh, did that for about, I want to say we were there three, four months, and then I spent some time in L.A., uh, to figure out how things were going there and then opened up the beautiful Las Vegas. And then I came home to open up Thai Diner about six months ago. And then the sky started falling <laughs> and we're here now. So when you were in Shelter Island. Yes. So you knew you had to like work your way up all the different positions. So you had as much of an understanding as possible so you could, you know, grow. But you already knew at that point that you wanted to be in restaurants? I've always loved food my entire life. I can probably eat anyone under a table and it's a talent that I hold very dear to myself. So I've always enjoyed like cooking with my family, trying new foods, uh, just exploring new avenues. I never knew that it was going to point me in this direction specifically. Uh, so when I met uh, Matt and Ann, it kind of opened up my eyes to that there are other people out there and that there are people that are doing really exciting things and that also to have the love of food and sharing their culture with people. And so I felt that it was only natural that I would do well in this environment. I love people. I love to talk. I love food, some good music, some good aesthetics. And then uh, I'm there pretty much. <laughs> what was that like? And how were those days different from white people that you were working alongside in the restaurants? The first couple of years, I just thought it was me and just me purely not knowing. 
but then kind of things began to, sh- you know, rear their, their ugly heads, whether it was how smart I could be or what position I could hold. And that for me personally, you need a really good support system because without that, you can't kind of deal with these conversations and dealing with people thinking you're less than what you are or that you can do something better than someone else, which is, that's kind of what's always fed me. So as I know, there's not many people that look like me. There's not many people that I felt kind of as a reflection of myself that I can go to and and always feel comfortable. Down the line, I did find people that, you know, are my family. And that's why I love restaurants so much. But in the beginning, it's very difficult to say, okay, you don't see someone that looks like you or it's been where you've been in your life. So why would you trust them or why would they have your, your best interest at heart? Who did you look up to as you were coming up in terms of a mentor, someone that you aspired to be like? I have my aunt, who's an amazing woman. Her name is Dawn Peacock. She works for uh, the Cornell Law School. So she works with international students, getting them into the law school and helping them, you know, get their feet down on the ground, feel comfortable wherever they are. And she's just a very calming voice for me. And she just, no matter what, she can just zen out, which is really incredible. Matt and Ann, those are pretty much my pseudo parents. Uh, They've adopted me, if you would, uh, into their family nine years ago. We spent Christmas together, uh, birthdays, holidays. I was there for, you know, when their child was born. We have a dog together, you know. And each restaurant position that I was in, no matter, you know, even when I did move into management, there were always these people that I looked over to. So when I was at Ruby Rosa, my GM there, she was impeccable. Her name was Bari. She was you know, we're all a little crazy. And I always look for those that are a little crazy, just like me, because they're wildly passionate. You know, there's jewels all over the place. The, I'd say the, one of the biggest things for me was when I went to the welcome conference the first time. Matt and Ann set me because throughout my time at Boone's, I was still growing and learning from the outside. And sometimes it just seems like food, you know, and it's, it's so much more than that. I've always felt that I've had to kind of I go around it a bunch. So instead of sitting at a table and saying, hey, why are you treating us poorly? I can go, hey, is chef in the kitchen? I'd love to say hello. And kind of giving people the opportunity to give the experience that they feel was appropriate because we all get to learn from this as well. And this is probably the biggest issue is that a lot of these things are so silent and they're so kind of under wraps that you don't realize that it's actually happening until it's too late or until someone, you have to have that talk or, you know, depending on the size of the company, you have to go through HR. I've tried to foster in anyone that I work with to just talk to me. So if you can't talk to me, there's no way that we can get, you know, move forward (laughs) traditionally. I'm not what you would think of as a general manager of a Thai restaurant. Typically, if someone were to pick who they would choose, I'm, I'm short. My name is Kelly Peacock. I, I grew up like this. I would enjoy the look on people's face when I'd, I'd walk in and say, hey, I'm here for an interview, um, Kelly Peacock. And you'd always see kind of a stunned look that they kind of, kind of fake it a little bit, but, but you kind of have to find joy in those things and just come prepared to show them like, okay, cool. If I'm going to be the the first young black general manager of a Thai restaurant they're ever going to meet. I hope that they learn something from this. I would love to maybe just ask you for like a specific story about, but you said at the end of a dinner where you weren't treated well, that you would ask to go see the chef 
I went out to dinner with one of my uh, sous chefs and this is, you know, we go out and we eat together all the time. Both of him and I are both African-American. So we go to restaurants all the time. We are also very, we're not suits. We don't really dress up all the time for dinner because we just want to do, you know, just have a casual dinner sometimes. So we're having dinner as we get about mid meal the kinks started to come in. Uh, one from our greeting from the table and also asking about just wine. Wine has always been a big thing. It's always a telltale kind of when I'm eating at restaurants because the the way the server will act towards you depending on the way that they're swaying you. So as we're ordering bottles of wine, it's no, you probably don't want this. It's a little bit too expensive. And I try to carry on as long as I could as we got towards the end of the meal, when we were going towards dessert, another strange encounter happened where three different people tried to clear our table at the same time. And I saw them communicating and we work in this business so we can see everything that's going on. I can see the people talking to each other in the corner and the chef of the restaurant happened to be a regular of ours, uh, a good friend of ours as well. And they kept trying to clear the table and I, you know, I asked them for dessert. There was a lot of attitude that came with it. So we're like, okay, every, you know, it's all going to be okay. We finished our dessert within probably a second. Everything was snatched off of the table. The restaurant is closed at this point, but the dining room is about 75% full. So there's no real reason to kick anyone out. There's no rush. There's no line at the door. There's no real reason to push us out. As soon as we got the bill on the table, they hovered behind the table to see if we were going to pay or if we were going to leave. Uh, and at this point, it was a little bit embarrassing. My friend and I, while we were sitting there- You were gonna try to skip out on the check. Yeah, we were trying to skip out on the check, sitting by the door. And we had, you know, had an elaborate dinner. We had a couple bottles of wine, which is, we're restaurant people. We love to eat and drink. This is what I love to do. And he saw that I had enough as, we put the money in the, the check presenter, left an appropriate tip because you never want to be ill-willed with that. So we leave it there. And I told him that I was going to go to the restroom, but he knew that I was probably going to go to the kitchen because he knew the way, how upset I was. Uh, so I went downstairs, kind of collected myself and went back up. So I went to the kitchen and I went to go and say hello to chef. And as it was pretty much something out of a movie because as the servers saw me walking into the kitchen, you, they tried to catch up with me. So <laughs> I was walking towards the kitchen and they were trying to catch up to me. And then as I embraced chef and told him, you know, thanked him for my meal, it was like silence had come across the entire dining room and you heard things dropping in the background. And it was just one of those things. I'm just like, thank goodness. I try to be as civil, you know, as possible and try to take the high road as much as I can because I knew that in that instance, doing it that way taught them a lot more than me lashing out or me being upset about it. One of the things you've said, and you said it about being an employee and now as a guest, is bringing things like that to people's attention you avoid doing because it reflects poorly on you. Mm -hmm. What's the worst? Yeah. Do you feel like what's happening in the world right now 
changes your perspective on that? I guess those situations make me more sad than anything, but then it also makes me want to, you know, continue the work that I am doing and just being, being that different person that someone can see, because if I can change their perspective, all you need is really to inspire one person, right? And then if they can go on and then they're inspiring the next person or changing how someone feels about someone, their race, their gender, their age, I do think that we are getting into a better place. It's going to take some work because unfortunately to get things better, we kind of have to rip down the, our foundation is weak, I guess is the best way to say it. So our foundation is very weak uh, in the world right now. So we kind of have to rip it down and just get back to what the basics are. This is the best time also, like with everything that's going on with Corona wreaking havoc. It's also given us time to think and have time to ourselves to just reevaluate what's going on in our lives and what's important when it comes to, you know, to be able to have these conversations. If, if we were having our restaurants open right now, I don't know if we'd be able to have the time to sit down to do this. And that's honest because we all work ourselves into the ground, but I'm, I'm hopeful. Okay. You talked about something when you were a guest. Yes. Can you talk about as someone working in restaurants, like confronting explicit racial bias in like a small way or a big way? And uh, both are... Both are great. Both are, the subtlety is always amazing. Well, I started off uh, working a lot of doors. So there's, you get a, a lot of the brunt of, of what goes on. So you get to experience things pretty head on. For one, manager, general manager, never really crosses someone's mind. So I had a couple girls. This was probably my first like year or two of of managing that lovely little monster. And the girls were pretty drunk and I could smell that it was going to be a problem. And I I always wish that I'm wrong uh, when it comes to these situations, but I knew that something bad was going to happen. So they got really drunk uh, Two young girls, probably maybe about my age. And one girl was swimming on the ground. Uh, This is how drunk she was. And her friend, I was telling her friend like, Hey, you know, why don't you take her into the restroom, clean her up and then like get her out of here. Just so you're not outside looking the way you are. She started to argue with me, telling me that I couldn't kick them out. They ultimately started to leave. But something in me told me that they were going to be back very, very shortly. Uh, Within, I want to say, about five to ten minutes, the two girls are back inside of the restaurant. And at this point, she's having a standoff with me about using the restroom. Hospitality professionals, we love to provide to our guests, but there's always a point and there's always a line to be drawn. So as she's arguing with me at, at the host end. My entire team's there. And my team, they're, they're like my little army, I want to say. And they, you know, they protect their mom. Their mom protects them. And you can see them kind of just waiting because they felt just as uncomfortable as I was and they can feel the energy. And the girl told me, as I repeatedly told them that, you know, they weren't allowed back inside, whatever their guests, trying to keep it as civil as possible. She told me that I thought that the only reason I was behaving the way I was, it was because I was black. And if I wasn't, there would be no way that I could get away from it. And immediately after that, she took her friend and launched her at me, (laughs) which is horrible. And 
comical at the same time because it was one of these things that you don't even think like today I'm going to be preparing myself to uh, hoist a human back uh, as they're being thrown at me and also just deal with awesome slurs that come out of people's mouths. But as this is going on, the first thing that I'm thinking is, okay, how not to react, right? Because one, as I said, is a full bar. So we have a full bar. We're still running service. My team is standing directly behind me. So I'm their leader. I have to maintain some type of professionalism at this point. And I had to control myself so much and like nicely walk them to the door. That is not the way that I wish to react, but we know that there's so much to be lost in that moment that if I would have reacted in the way that I wanted to, I would have been labeled the angry black girl that's up there. Every day, if, even if I had the opportunity to react in the way that I wanted to, that I wouldn't do it because I knew that it would affect ultimately how, one, how I was perceived, how my work is perceived, and that I, I want it to be more joyous and I don't want to fall into that category that's kind of already been made for me. Uh, so I have to do whatever I can to stay outside of that as much as possible. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks. <laughs> You talked about, yeah, like this is an opportune time because there is space to engage and to communicate. And also the restaurant business has kind of been torn down and it needs to be rebuilt outside of this. And there's an opportunity now to take steps towards rebuilding it in the right way. And so when you think about restaurants, like what kind of education do you want to see happening in restaurants, in the hospitality community generally? Like, what are your hopes there? People need to understand how important they are, first and foremost, because they teach you, they teach you things that you don't learn in the outside world. One, uh, unfortunately, which is very strange. So people go to school for years and years, and they don't... <sighs> They're one, not emotionally intelligent. So I wish that people could, I I wish that being in a restaurant was a part of the curriculum 10 years ago. Uh, And just basically like if you had a Saturday school option that you could go work and wash dishes, you know, just to learn some humility for people to know where it came from. As far as education, I think that one, we need to, us as a, as an industry, we need to educate ourselves on the different cultures that are out there. So starting with food, I think that, you know, we sell food, we talk about food, we, we breathe this every single day. So to know more about the different areas of the world. So whether it's that I've worked in Thai restaurants. So if you want to know about Thailand, you want to know about Thai food, then challenge yourself to learn about the culture or why they eat these things. The reason why I love fine dining practices so much as far as like the training is that it's so militant and you have to learn so much about the things that you're serving people. And I guess we're just so far away from just even understanding where our food comes from, why we eat certain things, why things pair together. So we, we just need to get back to the basics, I think, unfortunately, and just what does it mean to sit at a dinner table together? How do you, how do you stay engaged 
with the person you're speaking to. Even if you have to do 50 Zoom calls a week, how do you stay engaged with that person? How are you going to follow up? Do you, you know, teaching people how to care? I think that's what our industry does best is just showing how to love someone else, like pretty much without anything. I mean, as part, as far as management, it's like you, you get paid, but why do you do it? You do it for the, the smiling faces, for your guests that come back every single time. We talked about explicit bias. One of the things I wonder about is you've worked with, like I know a lot of the people that you've worked with. Yeah. <laughs> outside of Nomad and Make It Nice. Like I know a lot of the people you're referencing. Um, well-intentioned and generous-hearted people who are just trying to do the right thing is there a story, and it could be super subtle, but like of something more implicit, like someone showing racial bias and being completely ignorant to the fact that they were doing it? If you think about something as, as simple as like music choice, right? So if you, I've been in, in many rooms where you say, let's think of a casual conversation. Hey, what kind of music do you want to listen to? Hey, Kelly, I have something for you. I've seen it, like, you know when it's pure and you know when it's not. And I've seen, like, if you see a Black person, you think that they automatically, like, rap and hip-hop music. Like, this is a thing that's programmed into people for a very long time. I mean, I love that as well, but I also love all the other genres of music. Uh, so that's that's one uh, thinking, and this is, like, on a lighter note, thinking that every Black person loves Beyonce. We don't all love Beyonce. <laughs> She is amazing. <laughs> but something, you know, like something as simple as that, or a lot of people tell me that I don't sound like I'm from New York and I know what they're saying when they say that. And it's like, so what is a person? Because for me, if you think of like the old school movies that I used to watch, I'm thinking of like an, a, an Italian from Brooklyn, you know? And I don't talk like that. And I was like, so am I Italian from Brooklyn? They're like, no, but you don't talk like them. And I was like, what does that mean? It's like, you can learn how to speak. And also we all speak in different ways all the time, depending on what we're doing. Uh, so I'd probably say that the speech is a, a huge thing. I hear, I hear that often. You speak very well. Can you tell me about a conversation? You don't need to go into the weeds too much with it. Mm -hmm. want, but like a conversation that left you feeling hopeful and uplifted around everything that's happening. And perhaps a conversation that left you frustrated and, my friend Martin, I met, I met him actually on Shelter Island when uh, I was working there my first summer. And we I have a lot of really good friends there. And it's, it's a pretty wealthy area. So again, you don't see a lot of people like me. I was probably the only one uh, <laughs> that worked there. And Martin and I have become very close over, it's almost 10 years now. And two weeks, two weeks ago, almost, we had this conversation where it's just, he called me up and was just like, Hey, you know, we've never talked about this. You know, we, I don't know how to start the conversation, but I want to just talk to you about it as my friend, as someone, you know, that I love, which I, I, I love these, these humans to death. And it's just strange that you even have to be like, Hey, you know, have that conversation. Like I'm black and you're white and we're friends and it's okay, but let's talk about it. And there's always a hint of sadness with me because I just wish that, you know, you hope and you wish for everything, but you, I would really hope at this point that we were further in the future, but, you know, we had conversations about, you know, how I feel about 
where I stand or how to present myself. And he and I have had conversations before about, you know, what it meant to like be in this industry and how quickly that I've, I've moved through it without following the traditional background and just knowing, you know, at a certain point, how much strain that put on me and just, and just recognizing it, which was really nice to hear. Like it's hard, but it's always nice. So it's sometimes it's like that news that you don't want to hear, but you know, once you get it, you feel like a little bit more relief. So I would say that that's pretty wonderful. And, you know, he invites me to go to, uh, to protests with him and tells me anytime something's going on because he just wants to be there with me to show me that he supports, which means these, the littlest things mean, you know, the most. Something I'd say that's not so great. Well, I ran in, well, as the weather is getting nicer, uh, we know that there's more people in the streets. Uh, so now that this is happening, which is, it's always a funny feeling because you, you want to support every cause, right? And you have to also remember that, again, not everyone for a cause is always good. So there's always a lot of negativity, which I try to stay away from as much as possible. But there was a woman who ran up to me and this, the conversation started off pretty positive And I thought that it was in like a going in a positive direction and it kind of just tanked and it, it started, it exposed things about how we feel within the community about ourselves and just saying that she was talking poorly about someone that came from Africa and saying that it was their fault for why these things were going on, which is very bizarre. And, and these are how extreme things get because people will blame anything, but what the actual, what the cause of the problem is. So now it was causing this, like this internal battle against what we're trying to fight against, which was really sad. And, you know, I wished her well, wished her a blessed, happy day and, you know, made my moves, but it's, we can't continue to constantly tear ourselves down if we're trying to move forward. And if we're, whether it's about the black community and we're talking about that, we can't beat ourselves up. I can't say, you know, fall into the same hole. So whether it's how light you are, how dark you are, how pretty you are, how not pretty you may feel you are, how thin you are, how thick you are, how, you know, if you have children, if you don't, how much money you have, if you've been on welfare, are on welfare, not on welfare, wealthy, you know, we have all these criterias amongst our communities already. So if we're trying to fight against it, we, that conversation hurt me a bit because it just made me feel like, well, we can't have the enemy within us because then we'll ultimately be defeated. So we have to kind of fight outwards. What's the thing you're thinking about that we've always talked about, like the more there can be focus and just remembering something from a conversation, the stronger it can be. And so I'd love everyone to feel hopeful and that to know that there's one, a lot of work to be done, but we have to start making these steps now and to have these difficult, uncomfortable conversations with each other uh, so we can ultimately learn more about each other. Because once we learn more about each other, we'll find that there are way, there's so many things that are in common with, with one another. And we see that, you know, through restaurants. This is why people continue to dine out. And this is why people come together to, be in these spaces that we create because they're little worlds. So 
we also do have a responsibility as people in this profession to create the worlds that we would like to see out there. So, I mean, I just want everyone to be hopeful and just know that we can push on further. Don't, you never know who you're sitting next to. <laughs> like I always say, you never know who you're talking to. You don't know their struggles or their outlooks or their perspective on life. And the best way to know is just to ask the question. And, you know, if you're approachable enough and you're open and it's coming from the right place, they'll, they'll receive it and you'll have a wonderful conversation and you'll learn something that you didn't know before. Thank you for tuning in and hope you'll join us again next week on weekly specials. The show is produced by the team at the welcome conference and our production partners at Resi. And thank you to our longtime partners at American express and Sam Pellegrino for their unwavering support during a time when we're not able to come together in person. Their support allows us to connect with you here. Want to stay in touch or learn more? Visit us at welcomeconference.org or on Instagram at welcomeconference. It's the weekly specials. Weekly specials. Good news coming at you. The weekly specials. Weekly specials. Good news coming.